Welcome to Untitled Investment Talks, the podcast about all things digital assets. Welcome back. Thank you for being here again. My name, as always, is Simon. I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Karl Michael, also from Untitled Investment Expertise. And today we have a very special guest um, with us. Heis, great having you. Yeah, thank you, Simon. Yeah, I'm very, very happy to be here. Thank you very much. So, Heis, thank you very much for all the input on DeFi in the last episode. I think we've learned a lot on how you guys see it, how the market is developing and uh, what we all in the space need to watch out for and look at in the future. Now, maybe you can tell us a bit more about the role of technical analysis in general in the DeFi space, maybe in particular, on the crypto space in particular, also your approach to value investing. What does technical analysis mean for Coinstone and how do you use it as part of your tool sets? That's a broad set of questions there, but let's just start firstly with regards to this kind of like paradox that I've seen when I'm speaking to crypto asset investors. And if I say that, I'm, I mean, I'm relatively experienced, um, relatively experienced guys or people that work in the industry and then also have their own portfolios. As soon as you would mention some form of technical analysis, it's almost, you almost get this kind of like a, kickback from the person where they basically say like, hey, listen, you're, I don't even want to know about this because I'm a value investor. So what these people are actually basically saying is that the technical analysis tools uh, are something that shouldn't be used by value investors because value investors have got a long-term outlook. That's that's one thing. And secondly, technical analysis is only there for, for swing traders and day traders. Yeah? And swing traders and day traders are historically, over time, on average, not actually very profitable. So these guys, so I'm technically not interested in technical analysis. And I think that's fundamentally wrong. And the reason why I say that is a crypto asset is not a soccer team. You don't stick to it just because like you're a fan. Even though you might like the project and you might have actually met some team members and had a discussion with them. So you need to trade properly. And a trade has got three components. There's the picking of the asset to start out with. There's the buying of the asset. And then there's the selling of the asset. Value investing and having a value investing approach helps you to make sure that you only put money into good projects. And that's very important. But then you've got the buying part of it as well, where you need to make sure that you're buying this at a good price and you're not chasing, as they say, green candles. And then at a certain point, you need to make sure that you're actually selling. And if you're not doing all of these three things, you're basically taking a big risk and then leaving a lot of money on the table. So your risk-reward ratio goes out of whack, and then the only thing that you actually have to generate value is your picking. And because there's more and more projects out there and the scene becomes generally more technical, it's your picking becomes more and more difficult. So you see these people with this kind of like orientation basically not necessarily making as much money with regards to like how they're risking. So their risk-reward ratio is completely out. 
And one of the reasons for that is basically that they don't look at technical analysis as a tool. When you should buy, now you should buy. And then technical analysis can also help you a lot with regards to when you should sell. And technical analysis can also keep you in the trade for a long time as well. So when the market is going up or it's fluctuating, whether you're long or short, there are technical indicators that allow you to get an idea of whether you should sell right now or sell later. So basically meaning you can lock in the value that you risk to start out with. So what does this mean for Coinstone? Our clients don't want to play in and out of the market. They like the whole idea of having a diversified approach and keeping it for a long time. So we use technical analysis with regards to suggesting the price levels for the dollar cost averaging. They would then make a make an allocation. And we would then, based on technical factors that we look at for at the back end, we will then say, okay, listen here, don't do it now. Do it in two days' time. Do it a week from now. Withhold for this month. Let's wait for next month. So we make these small adjustments where it's in technical indicators. So by working through us, you are capable of, uh, of taking advantage of it. But we also have our own proprietary fund, which also allows us to not only use dollar cost averaging, but also look into technical analysis in, in making sure we do successful trades. So what do you need for that? Firstly, you need to know a price is an indicator of value at a certain point in time. And then in the past, there's been other indicators of value of that asset as well. And you need to know what that current price is saying about the future price. And there's a few things that can help you in that regard in a big way. Firstly, moving averages. Understanding how moving averages actually work gives you an idea of where the price action is in relation to itself. Then from then on, you need to know, like, okay, this current price movement, where is this statistically with regards to the moving average and where it usually finds itself? So where is this price movement statistically at that time? Does this mean, is it a complete outlier or is this something which is quite standard? This is where Bollinger Bands help you quite, quite a lot. And that Bollinger Bands also, if you know it really well, helps you to stay in the trade longer. So if you take a position, you can stay in it longer, even if it looks like you might need to take profit. Where it usually would look like that, let's put it this way. And then from then on, you need to decide stop losses are immensely important in this market because you're taking the risk. And if you don't lock in the value that you had before, then your risk rate, your risk reward ratio is out of sync. So stop losses are very, very important. As soon as you move, start making profit. The problem is that you can get tapped out relatively easily as well. Meaning that the price can go up, you can basically go in at 10,000, price can go up to 11,000. And then all of a sudden you put a stop loss at 10,800, price goes down to, to 10,700, and then all of a sudden the price is 12. And then you miss that movement from 12, from 11 to 12. You still made some profit, which is good, but you could have made more for the risk that you were taking and the amount of time you're putting in with regards to analysis. And for that, there's also technical indicators that help you to basically make sure that you can lock in the value while minimizing the chances of actually getting stopped out and also then seeing whether you can actually put in um, 
put in sell orders higher as well. So that's why I make very liberal use of the OCO function in on Binance for our proprietary trading, which is a great in, invention that nobody's talking about. You can basically put in two sell orders, one above market and one below market. And if the one hits, then the other one is cancelled and the other way around. And you can take advantageous trades to the top uh, or protect your bottom line at the same time, which is really great. So long story short, sorry, I was rambling a little bit there. If you take your trading seriously, technical analysis provides a toolbox uh, of things that can really help you to um, optimize your trades every step of the way, or at least make the best cases every step of the way. Please, this is a very interesting insight. May I ask you a challenging question? All clear what you say. How do you judge the predictive validity of technical analysis? Or put it differently, I read technical analysis once in a while, and sometimes I have the impression it's more an ex-post justification of what happened on the market. But since you are very much involved in it and use it as a, I would say, day-to-day -to -day tool, what's your experience? Are you right like 60, 70% of the time? Or is it just between 50 and 55? Can you tell us a little bit more about this? Yeah, with regards to, okay, so if you read technical analysis um, from analysts that basically wrote something about how the market was doing, it is basically exposed facto by definition. And many times the, the, these people are basically just reporting on the movement per se and being very vague about what will happen in the future. If it's correct 60 or 70 percent of the time, That is a statistic that I can't give you based on the fact that I don't keep those statistics. That's the one part of it, but which is actually more important in this regard is you need to, as a trader, basically almost say, I don't know. They say the best traders are people that basically can take a random position on any asset uh, and then they risk manage it. And that's the most important part. So if I'm buying Bitcoin at, at 12,000, let's say, then I simply don't know what it's going to do in the next 10 minutes or in the next 20 minutes. There's no real predictive validity coming out of, of technical analysis in this regard. But it gives you a little bit more clarity on where the market is at that particular point. And then from then on, you take your position or you take a stacked bid position where you basically take of the, the amount of money that you would like to take into the position, you can build stacks on that by looking at the technical structure. So meaning you would take a position at 12,000, 10,000, and 9,000 uh, on a percentage level with regards to getting into at different percentage levels, descending Ascending percentage levels with the whole idea of getting into a very good average position using your stop losses for that. So there you use levels to basically get into position and then you use taking analysis to stay in it. So it's not necessarily like some crystal ball that's going to tell you up and down and how much, but it is something that's going to help you to make better trades. And a trade is not one thing. It's not putting in a number and then pressing buy or sell. A trade is the selection, the level at which you're buying, how you get into position, 
how you risk manage that position and how you eventually decide to sell that position. And these subcomponents are very, very important. And there are certain toolings within it that can help you. So I would basically say like on average, you will just do better and you will have a lot less stress-free trading because you're not kind of like relying on yourself to be some clairvoyant type of guy that can read markets. You're simply a technician that's applying a system. And you you see what happens in that regard. And you make sure that you can live to fight another day because you're not putting in all of your money on like some some bait that just looks good. Clear. You mentioned since this is a kind of data science game, you do these prediction based on analysis of historical data, candles, ETC. Uh, I think especially Bitcoin, because volatility really decreased over the last uh, two years significantly. For Bitcoin, a very good tool set. How do you see this for highly volatile and even recently launched new coins in the DeFi space? Do you still think that technical analysis there is of, of major importance and, and you can easily do the risk management you were mentioning? You need You need some form of track record. For sure, like for instance, to get a Bollinger Band reading, only one reading on the daily candles. If you're setting a set at the standard one, which is 20, then you technically speaking need, need 20 days of data before you get your first Bollinger Band reading. That's, that's, that's one aspect of it. So you don't have a lot of data to go on. You don't have any price structures either, which is another aspect as well. So you can't actually really notice where which price levels are and what was the action. Is it making higher highs or lower lows or a combination of the two? What are we seeing in that regard? So yeah, it's tougher. Then the only thing that you basically can use in that regard, but it's dangerous. And, and this is not like, as I say, nothing that I say is investment advice, but like a Fibonacci, the Fibonacci ratios are relatively good in that regard of kind of like helping you If you see the first daily candle or the second or the third day candle, to give you an idea that, okay, listen here, if it's going down, where are the statistic possibilities of where it's going down at the moment and, 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 and where it might turn? So that, that's basically the only thing that you've got. But yeah, it's basically, it is, as you say, Carl, you don't have a lot to go on. Okay. That brings me to another question because technical analysis somehow is closely i would say related to using bots or automated trading machines versus doing kind of manual work as a trader and and obviously if you do automated trading you can hedge risk maybe with arbitrage and, and other other techniques what's your view on on this kind of automated trading There will always be space for automated trading. It's always something that will happen. The, the issue is with automated trading, which you see generally, is that many of the strategies are actually exactly the same. So basically meaning that if everybody follows it, the, 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 the profit on that move becomes less and less. So there's basically so many RSI 18, RSI 20 bots out there, like like doing the work, which makes it actually very, very straightforward to play these bots on a certain extent. And secondly, many of these bots actually just work when, when the market is trending so that it helps you optimize when it's trending. But that's kind of like really just kind of like somebody telling you the time when you already have a watch to a certain extent because, yeah, 
that, that's another aspect of it. And thirdly, of course, there's exchange fees that pile up at a certain point. And then fourthly, there's an interpretation aspect of it as well that is completely lacking if you simply just rely on, on some type of algo. So like no algo knows that PayPal, for instance, made this announcement. And then they're not necessarily smart enough to figure out that this announcement would actually benefit Bitcoin a little bit more than it would affect the other alts. Uh, so there's advantages, but I think there's also a lack of interpretation there. And another aspect is that these margins are going to become smaller and smaller over time as bigger institutions come in with their algos. And with regards to just higher amounts of volume going into Bitcoin and Ethereum, in the sense of that back in the day, like um, 30% for a week, like even four or five years ago for Ethereum was like a stable week. Now, 5% or 2% is, the 5% move is seen as like headline news. Okay, maybe one more uh, question from my side before I hand over to, to Simon. You mentioned already institutional investors. I mean, we know stock trading is 80, even not more than 80% automated already. And there are very successful companies uh, in this space competing on certain advantages for men. For example, technical infrastructure being very close to an exchange, ETC. How do you think the market will change if we have more institutional investors now with regards to trading, not necessarily for the for the value long-term investment? How do you think uh, markets going to evolve? I think that it's going to... The markets have already evolved a lot based on the fact that there's basically just a lot more smarter traders with a lot more money involved and with regards to the mechanisms that are now available. So back in the day when I started, like 2013, 2014, then you could only go long on something. It was the only possibility that you had. So if you wanted any form of exposure to the movement, then you needed to go long or or you went into cash. That's it. Now, all of a sudden, there's like all types of things. You can even just bet on things like the like the hash rate of Bitcoin as well. So there's a lot more different ways to, to participate in the market. That's one aspect of it. And then secondly, you have a lot more smarter guys in it that have a lot more money. So they aren't necessarily interested in making 30% over a year and risking it all and risking it all not risking 20 or 30 million they're more interested in making a sure bet one or two percent and you can see that actually with regards to if you see certain technical structures like triangles and these types of things that there is a tendency for it to go not to break cleanly but to break out and then go down again And that is people that are looking for one or two percent advantage, and they're actually just looking for people's stop losses or their entry points before they drag it down again. So eventually, it boils down to is like it's it's going to get more and more difficult for a retail investor to make very very big returns because they're going against not just one or two smart guys; they're going up against the whole team of them, and they, they aren't necessarily interested in making money by just going long. No, that makes it very clear. Maybe since we were touching on it already again, the difference between large institutionals, corporations, 
asset managers and retail investors getting into the market and really the demand side growing and growing. How would you see the retail investors rising adoption really impacting the market amongst the backdrop of we had grayscale who just issued that they had the best third quarter or the best quarter ever in the history of the fund where they bought uh, like 77% of all minted bitcoin more than 1 billion in new in new money flowing into their fund then we had the folks at microstrategy buying 425 million us dollars in bitcoin but those um, inflows haven't really impacted the the price too much during the time that they happened there was like little slippage they have their ways of getting into the market without impacting it too much obviously of course this might look very different for a new rise in retail investors interest uh, coming for example through paypal through venmo where they are able to just exchange their fiat currency their us dollars their euros against Bitcoin, just hold it and use it in the entire PayPal network and send it via Venmo. I mean, PayPal's biggest selling point is convenience, being able to sell, to to do business with so many merchants with just one payment app. And then you can do the entire thing while holding Bitcoin. I mean, in the first look, that of course seems like it's going to really, really lead to a huge rally. But then again, the likes of Grayscale and MicroStrategy, their investments haven't led to such a big rally. What's your take on that? Yeah, the, the take on that is actually, and that's something that a lot of people have been scratching their heads about. So that's a, that's a good question. But one thing that people that people need to take into account if there's the, where there's a market is that there's supply and then there's demand uh, in a market. And one thing is like, if you're talking about the, the kind of like the Robin Hooders or people getting in with regards to PayPal or even people just buying off an exchange, yeah, that leads to more demand. Yeah. And then that, that brings up with that, lets the price go up with regards to more demand. Yeah. And that's what people talk about and that's what people write about. But one, another aspect in that regard is the fact that Institutional investors like Rayscale, guys like MicroStrategy, these and and Square, they're taking money away. They're taking they're taking supply away. So the thing is, you can make demand if you want to make the price go up. You can make demand go up, yeah, on the one side, or you can make the supply less. And Rayscale basically buying up everything. MicroStrategy buying up everything is leading to less supply, but. How they do the deal is actually very, very interesting in this regard as well, in the sense of that they buy OTC. So they're not going to go onto Binance and then go and buy, they're not going to go into Kraken and then go buy like 140 million worth. They go to a broker and they make a deal with the broker. The broker has already bought that Bitcoin sometime in the past and he's probably selling it to them at a profit but that's that is not reflect so that's not reflected on the market on a demand side basis and the lack of supply base basically only is a lagging price influencer on the sense of that it only makes demand driven price movements more severe so the next time there's a big bitcoin rally there's simply just less available on the open market than there was before and that means people are willing to pay more for the available ones. So that's, that's going to be the, the end effect of that. And of course, this forms a positive feedback cycle as well. 
based on the fact that if the price goes up so well and cleanly and linearly, there's going to be more supply taken out of the market by institutions. Thank you very much for that. From my end, I think that's all my big questions answered. Kai Michael, do you still have any? Yes, one last question. The golden question, I would say. How do you <laughs> see Bitcoin evolving? I mean, the upward trend we've seen now, you could say it's somehow different from the spikes we've seen in uh, whatever, 2018, 2019, because the whole movement, I think Simon mentioned it, you also mentioned it, uh, follows a less volatile curve currently. Do you think it's persistent? Where do you see Bitcoin in one month? Where do you see Bitcoin in five years? Well, one thing with regards to just commenting on the type of movement, this is the type of movement that you will see in any form of asset class if there's more volume in trading. So this kind of like more, you would say almost more of a relaxed curve is based on the fact that there's firstly, there's more volume. And there's not necessarily just one between brackets whale that can go and manipulate the market. So then you will see kind of like, I would almost like to say like a more organic price curves. That's what you're going to see. So it's very difficult for me like to go and make price predictions. But I can tell you a few things that, that you can then basically think about yourself and then make your own conclusions. Firstly, the cyberpunk kind of like, situation of people losing confidence in mass in the world's most powerful currency is something that that we're dealing with at the moment yeah you got the positive feedback cycle of well massive amounts of financial stimulus combined with the fact of that that stimulus actually if makes that confidence even less that's one aspect of it and where did we see stimulus money, all the stimulus checks flow into in April? Why have we seen such sharp V-side recoveries? What is the asset that outperformed gold and the S&P 500 this year based on the fact that there was inflows from stimulus check holders? And then let's top that off with the fact that there's this narrative of the lack of confidence plays in completely with it. So there's this perfect feedback cycle at the moment where more money gets printed. That So it's a perfect storm in that regard for now, for the next month. And then for the next five years, it's you're going to have these types of events, I think even more and more, hopefully not too much, but there will be these types of events. But there's just a growing awareness that Bitcoin is not for crazy people anymore. It's not for complete geeks and like the random guy at your company standing around at the coffee pot, like I used to be telling people about these things. It's now for really, really smart institutional investors to the point of it's, it's not just the usual institutional investors that get it. It's only for the elite smart ones. It's becoming, uh, the awareness is really, really coming out right now. And that is simply not going to stop because the whole idea of inherently having a programmatic software-based monetary policy of an asset. And then that asset is not just connected to, to anything. It's actually connected to the use of a platform. And, and that platform is connected to 
something that people just love doing for millennia already, and that's exchanging value, is, yeah, you can make the deductions from there. Cool. Please. Thank you very much. We really appreciate your insights. And I think our listeners too. It was really a cool talk. And for our listeners, please stay tuned for the next episode of Untitled Investment Talk.